Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast, if you've clicked on it by accident, where my guest tells me the five things from their life they would put in a time capsule, four things they cherish, and one thing they would like to be rid of. My guest in this episode is the author and podcaster Giles Paley Phillips, known to millions of podcast listeners for his brilliant podcast, Blank, which he co-hosts with his friend, the stand-up comedian Jim Daly. If you've not heard it, then I can highly recommend it. It's an informal, insightful podcast in which well-known people from acting, writing, politics, sport, uh, such as John Ronson, Dawn French, Michael Rosen, Gary Lineker and Dame Kelly Holmes, chat about their lives and how they get through tough moments. Giles is also a highly successful author. Blank is now a best-selling book, alongside his semi-autobiographical novella, 152 Days, and his nine award-winning picture storybooks for children. So here is the lovely Giles Paley Phillips and the things he wants to put in a time capsule. When I came up with the idea of doing a podcast with my mate Jim, He'd done podcasts before, so he was a bit more experienced. But I had, I've never done any broadcasting or anything like that before. But yeah. I had this sort of overwhelming desire to do this thing. You know, this was a couple of years ago we started. It's a lovely podcast. Yeah, thank you. Well, yeah, Blank Podcast. So, yeah, basically Jim and I were both going through kind of creative, creative blocks, I suppose – Although a blank, I guess, is a slightly different thing to a block. Mm. But we he, he's a stand-up comedian and he got the fear of getting back on stage, oh. which I think is quite common. Mm. And, yeah, just had this overwhelming fear. And I, I was having a problem with writing. I just couldn't write anything. I was really struggling with the writing thing. And so, yeah, I said, look, 
I think we need to talk to some other people who are far more successful than us and see how they do it. Yeah. How they must have those moments. So it did start off as a creative thing. It was more talking about the creative process. But it's evolved into something completely different. I'm sure you you have that with this podcast. Mm. Is that you, you, you have conversations with people and uh, things just take different routes than you, do. you originally thought. It's often nothing to do with what you start out with. Yeah. We get to sort of the end of the subject. And then I say, okay, we'll put that into the time capsule. And actually, where we are in the conversation is so far away from the object that started it, it seems absurd. Yeah, you know, you absolutely. sort of go, well, I'm going to take you right back to the start of this conversation when you mentioned a pencil case. And now <laughs> yeah. we're talking about uh, satanic rituals. It is, and it's amazing. I mean, with ours, I guess the blank idea was that, yeah, this creative kind of thing, and it's turned into actually us studying the human condition and talking to people about all sorts of things like imposter syndrome, public failure, social anxiety, grief, all these different things that have come up now. Mm. And, uh, I mean, Jim and I just say it's our weekly therapy session. <laughs> and it's people, they are heroes of ours, people that are massively inspiring to us. Yeah. And we can hear them and, and, and allow them to download a little bit. And that's lovely. And it, it just means, we, it just feels so much more like we're all in this together and we're all, we all have the same neurosis and anxiety anxieties about life and it's nice it's very very comforting i'm what i've talked about this on our podcast a little bit actually about um where we dwell in our no i I, i'll be future dwellers present dwellers or past dwellers and i i always kind of try and pitch myself in the middle somewhere like i I try and stay in the moment i try to be present and i know that's something that we're all trying to do a little bit Mm. more um and i the the future is you know is too anxiety juicing (laughs) and 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 then the past is sometimes a little bit depressing um but actually you know, having thought about, you know, my list of things that I would put in my time catch, it was actually really, really lovely to sort of dive in and lean into some of those those old memories. And yeah. actually it was a real treat to sort of think. And I and actually been up in the loft and found a few old scraps of things, you know, and and and, and old news cuttings and stuff that I was Oh wow. Yeah, oh, because I, I well, I wanted to talk about the uh, the band I was in. So it was it was nice to sort of have some of those references of, of those times, which were very special actually. Yeah, well let's explore them then. Mm. Let's see what your first item is. Do you know, it's nice doing this at home because it means I can have props. <laughs> so um, my first item is probably the first love of my life. I met this little thing a long time before I met my wife, but it's my guitar. It's my Paul Reed Smith gold top, which is a 22 um, fret. So I don't know if you're a guitar player yourself. My son plays a guitar, but I don't. Have you, have you ever dabbled? <laughs> I've dabbled in lots of things. I've, I've spent most of my life dabbling. <laughs> yeah, I'm a dabbler too. But yeah, the story about this guitar, which is kind of the memory, the memory that I would, you know, I'm trying to keep is, is, is buying the guitar well, and sort of falling in love at first sight with the thing. Because yeah. um, when I was about in my sort of late teens, probably early 20s, I'd come into a little bit of money. Mm. Um, a, a very distant relative had passed away. He was one of those relatives that sort of sent you a birthday and Christmas card with a tenor in, you know, one of those kind of like, who is this? Who is this <laughs> uncle that I've never met? Um, <laughs> uncle Ron, who just sends me like this, this lovely little, <laughs> little, um, little tenor every birthday and Christmas. And, um, yes. and, and unfortunately he passed away and, um, we went to his funeral. It was very, you know, it was a very lovely affair, and it was it was nice to learn a little bit more about poor old Uncle Ron that I'd never. Um, really was he got a neighbour or an actual uncle? Because no, he often... was a, no, he was an actual uncle. Although I think mm. he was like a sort of um, both my 
parents were only child. So I think he might have been a, like a great uncle. Right. So I think he was more like, um, yeah, like a grandparent's sibling. But it was very lovely for him to think of us in, in his will, which was, you know, it was lovely. So Isn't it amazing? There are those people in your life. Mm. Ron and Joan Calver. Ron and Joan Calver were friends of my parents in the 60s. And every year, Joan Calver still sends me a birthday card. I'm 62. So <laughs> how old is she? And it always goes to the wrong address. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> no money yeah. in it either. No money. I'm, oh, what's, well, what's the point? Hardly worth having. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, tell me about Ron. So, yeah, dear old Uncle Ron, he'd left us a little bit of money. And um, I was given the responsibility of having this money, which at that age is not necessarily the best thing. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I remember having a succession of meetings with older people telling me what I should do with this money, what I should invest it in. And I I mean, at the time, I just wanted to be in a rock band, Mm. be a rock star. So I took myself off to Brighton. I didn't listen to any of the advice that was given to me, which, which, which in some respects I kind of, maybe I should have done retrospectively. Yeah, the price of houses compared to the price of guitars. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I'm sure it was a good decision. Well, no, it was. It was a good decision. I, I, well, I've still got the thing, so I mean, that's the first part of it. But yeah, I took myself off to Brighton and there's a little shop called Tiger Music and it was down the North Lanes. It was a quite a small shop, but they had very, very nice equipment in it, like sort of high-end stuff. And I remember walking in and just clapping eyes on this. It must have been right sort of parallel to the door because I remember walking in and then seeing it almost immediately. And because it's gold as well, it's kind of <laughs> kind of stands out from the crowd a little bit. And um, it was a make of guitar that I'd always wanted, the Paul Reed Smith. They're, they're quite high-end sort mm. of handmade guitars, fairly expensive I have to say, but the shop was actually closing down. So they'd slashed all the prices of the guitars. Oh, my word. I know. So there was just like this sort of serendipity about it. It was you know, meant like, to be. It was, it was meant, meant to, be, to be, exactly. And I thought, well, I, I've got to bite their hands off with this. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I coughed up my £1,500. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> yes. Now, was, now that, you're talking. Yeah, and it was on offer. And I bought it and I, I remember... I, I paid in cash. <laughs> and I remember fearfully walking around Brighton thinking that I've got like <laughs> over a thousand pounds in my pocket and uh, having to count it out. It felt very weird actually counting out my, I mean, we don't do that anymore. We'd never, no. you know, counting out wads of cash. It's a very strange thing, isn't it? I once mm. did a commercial in Austria and my fee was £5,000. And uh, they were supposed to pay me in cash. Not for any tax reasons, I promise. <laughs> you <gotta> be careful. <laughs> he says, thinking I might have to cut this out. My agent was furious that I didn't get it before I left the country. And the director promised he was coming over to London, would bring it over. And she said, you're a fool. You'll never see that money again. And he did come over. And then I was working in uh, a production, which was a profit share production. So absolutely hardly any money. We all get on nothing, doing it for the love of it. And this man turned up at lunchtime and then sat there and counted out £5,000 in £50 notes. How long did it take? It took most of the lunchtime. And (laughs) I bought every drink for the rest of that (laughs) run, typically. So, Giles, were you a good guitarist then when you bought that guitar? Was I a good guitarist? Am I a good guitarist now after 20-odd <laughs> years of playing? I don't think I was that good. 
I was very ambitious. I was very ambitious about the band. And I think buying good equipment yeah. was the start of that, really, that ambition to succeed. And I think buying, I think it was always like, yeah, having the best gear I could possibly get. Also, I think thinking longevity as well, I was thinking I need to buy, I need to invest in something that was going to last me. Like this is going to be the only guitar I'm ever going to need yeah, for, for life kind of thing, you know, yeah. a guitar for life. That was kind of my ethos at the time and still is to a certain extent when I buy, when I buy anything. Yeah. This is the kettle for life. This is the, <laughs> this is the toaster for life. <laughs> Did it work? Did it inspire you to go on and do interesting things? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the band. I, I, I was in a band at the time, and and what was the name yeah, of the band? Come on, the band was called Little Ten, right? Um, an unusual name. Not really sure. I think it was because you know, naming a band is so painful. They're always unusual until people get to know them, and then they accept it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, it's a very difficult thing. It's almost up there with naming a child, you know, because you're stuck with it then. Mm. And um, finding the right thing that's going to appeal to people, but then be slightly exotic perhaps or yeah. uh, but then or... you know it's like that richard curtis film isn't it i mean imagine if if the beatles had not been a success and exactly. they were now telling their grandkids yeah i used to be yeah i was in a band yeah yeah in the, in the <laughs> 60s you know me and uh <clears throat> blog with john it's great yeah. um we what were they called granddad we were we were the beatles the beatles what like um what like a beetle no but with an a for the beat. Yeah, exactly. It's clever. Yeah. yeah, very good, Grandad. Thank you. You know, I mean, everything is silly until it's not. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, we were called Little Ten. And yeah, and we started, um, I mean, we, were, we were obviously gigging locally at the start, but we always wanted to write our own material. It's always really, you know, that was part of Intrinsic when we started. And I think it's just a special thing when you're, I mean, being quite young as well, I wasn't particularly good at school. I wasn't academic. And so finding my thing, you know, a, a creative outlet, like music was a, was a really you know, a, a fantastic time for me and you know we did lots of ex- and experienced lots of things I never would have experienced I don't think if I'd not sort of delved into that world and meeting like-minded people and like you know finding your tribe which I know we say a lot nowadays but yeah finding those people that I could really connect with and have this special time with you know and yeah and comrades you know, com- finding comrades, which is, you know, which I guess we're all trying to do to a certain extent. I've done it in the sense of performing with people on stage, mm. but I've always really envied bands, the fact that somebody nods their head and off they go. I think it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a special thing, actually. And, you know, my favourite moments are being in a rehearsal room together. Um, and I guess that's probably similar to acting in a way, because you're you're playing, aren't you? You're playing, yeah. having, you know, that's the fun, kind of fun bit. I mean, like, performing's great and, you know, you get an adrenaline from that. But uh, but being in a room and creating, I think that that, that process has always been my favourite. It's actually just writing and creating stuff. Mm. And I felt kind of emboldened by buying this guitar, definitely. I mean, it was so lovely to play. I remember my first guitar I ever bought, my nan bought me a, from the Argus catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> It was an encore. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was so dreadful. I mean, the strings, they were so far away. The intonation on it, for guitar listeners will know what that means, but the intonation was so terrible on it. The strings were like about an inch away from the fretboard. (laughs) Which is a terrible thing for a beginner to have to deal with. Oh, awful, yeah. It makes it almost impossible to play. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I keep thinking, why am I so terrible at playing guitar? <laughs> why does it sound so dreadful? But uh, unfortunately, it was, you know, and I think that probably be what started that sort of thought in my head that I need to get good equipment. Like, you yeah. know, we need the right tools sometimes, don't we? And I think that was always in there with me when I bought the encore guitar. So, uh, so had you grown up with the people you played with, the people in the band, or did you just meet them through music? I met one guy in college who um, was already in another band and he was very talented singer and songwriter and yeah we just hit it off and had similar taste in music and and that's kind of what sort of spiraled it really and then we started playing with other people and meeting other people eventually we kind of grew out I think like in a creative way you kind of grow out of the people you're working with so we we'd kind of moved in a different direction or something you know and and, and we started playing with other people and then we had we, we ended up advertising for a drummer and all that kind of stuff yeah it's always a drummer yeah, drummers. Yeah, they're hard to get by. It's hard to get a good drummer. Find a good drummer. I know. Well, I'm very lucky because the drummer we 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 found, we advertised, and we got a really good drummer. And I still play with him now in a band. So it's, I think if you get a good drummer, hold on to them. I've <laughs> been playing with him for over 20 years, um, and we're great. We're great friends. And uh, it's yeah, I think there's something special. And I think yeah, getting a good drummer, good drummer, and a good vocalist. To be honest, the rest you can kind of hobble along. Like I say, I wasn't the best guitarist, but um, being in the presence of a great singer and a great drummer meant that, you know, you kind of, you kind of like pick yourself up a bit. But we did some great stuff. We got to tour a bit and we played Glastonbury. We got to play wow. Glastonbury in, in, in the year 2000, the year Bowie headlined. Oh, apparently he only did it because he knew you were on the bill. Well, I've heard those rumours too. Yeah, mm. I've heard those rumours too. <laughs> <laughs> we played the new band stage, which was, well, I think is now the John Peel stage. Yeah. But... Um, we didn't have much of a following. We were like second on the Saturday morning after Friday night. So you imagine like the first proper night of Glastonbury. People have, might have had one or two or a couple of chokes on something. Um, we were a bit worried that no one would turn up. So all Friday, we literally littered the site with flyers, giving out flyers everywhere. And we managed to get a couple of thousand people turned up. So that was wow, fantastic. that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, and so, so yeah, we were, like, I think, like more, more than judgment. And they weren't but... all just standing there saying, turn it down. <laughs> there might have been one or two doing that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing place. It really is. It's, um, there's something very special about it. Um, I haven't been back since, but maybe one day I'll go back again. Well, maybe maybe go back with your guitar. Yes. we're going to put it into the time capsule and keep it safe. Thank you. It'll glow there, golden and beautiful, <laughs> with the strings close to the fret. <laughs> yeah, absolutely close. I mean, it's the honestly, I can't tell you how beautiful it is to play. I highly recommend Paul Smiths. If you if you've got a bit of cash lying around um, <laughs> and you want to invest in a, in a, in a you're nice not going to get a freebie out of them, you know. Uh, no, I'm trying. I'm trying. Do, you're doing your best. <laughs> okay, so um, so what's your second item? Well, my second item it's another creative one actually. Um, the band unfortunately broke up, which is always a devastating time. It's like breaking up with a girlfriend. You have all these sort of resentments. <laughs> <laughs> and you start thinking about all the things you could have done differently. And, uh, yeah, it was really, really hard because we were all so invested in the project. And how old were you when that happened? I was in my early 20s, so I was 23. So you're looking around thinking, well, those people went to university... Or they, exactly. They, they've been doing a job for five years. They're in a position now, and I've 
thrown it all away. I've squandered it. Pretending to be in a band, you know, <laughs> yeah. which doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. Yeah, we, we, we all felt a bit like that, you know, because we were similar similar age. And yeah, we'd, you know, I'd been doing odd jobs and things, but I'd not, you know, like I said, kind of given up on the education thing when I was sort of 18. I, I dropped out of college and I was just pursuing this thing, you know, pursuing this this art form. And that's all I wanted to do. I was kind of ravenous for it, you know, it was really... Mm it sort of took up all my time and headspace. So, yes, to have that take sort of kind of taken away, well, not taken away, but, you know, to, 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 for it to go suddenly, I almost like literally within like, a, you know, an, a day, it was hard to take. So I think, you know, I'd, I was getting married around that time and I was sort of thinking about other things I could do creative. And this is something that I've sort of taken forward. I mean, every time I've hit a kind of blank wall or a creative kind of block or anything, I've, I've, look to do something different yeah um, and try and evolve my you know my creative output in some way or at least it to be a distraction from that you know the pain or the disgruntlement from the last thing so I just started thinking about writing and I found you know found out my wife was pregnant with our our first child and um I thought I'd really like to write a story for him (laughs) something that we could read together when he's old enough, you know, at bedtime. Those are the thoughts I was having when I found out she was pregnant. It was like bedtime stories and yeah. kicking a ball around in the park, you know. It wasn't about the the logistics of a baby, <laughs> you know, <laughs> nappies and all that stuff. It was all this kind of really nice stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't sleepless nights. It was all these exciting things we can do. And, that, and obviously there are those nice things as well. That was came into my head was I really wanted to write a story for him and I became a bit like I did with the band I became a bit obsessed with this idea and then I I just found myself wandering around bookshops trying to inspire myself going to the library and just reading and reading and reading lots and lots of children's books to get ideas um, and inspiration and I found it really difficult I just couldn't get my head around the idea of doing this and I'd written lyrics and stuff in the band, but obviously mm. it's a very different thing. And the kind of idea, I really wanted to write a picture book. And the idea with a picture book is that you, you're trying to convey a whole story over like 32 pages. It's actually incredibly, like people think it's quite easy writing a kid's book, but it's oh, incredibly no. difficult. No, no, then they're idiots. It's yes. incredibly difficult. So did you go down the route of, in a way, using that lyric writing skill and writing rhyme? Yeah, I did. Yeah, exactly that. Mm. Um, I thought, well, I really loved the sort of rhythm and, you know, the books that I was reading and appealed to me were things like Roald Dahl's Revolting Rhymes and Mm -hmm. some of the Michael Rose and stuff, things that were more poetic, I guess, more lyrical and rhythmic. Julia Donaldson. Julia Donaldson, yeah. Mm. I think The Gruffalo had come out around that time, actually. So I remember sort of seeing that or someone told me about it and I remember reading it and thinking, wow, this is amazing. This is, yeah, this is the kind of thing I want to do. At the time, I was working at a toy shop. It was really lovely because it was a bit um, bric-a-bracky in a way. It was, there was an awful lot of stuff in it. Um, They tried to sort of pack it in. So it was really lovely. It was this sort of little den of fun. Mm. Yes, the best way of describing it. So it was really lovely working there. It was a good environment to be in. But I remember one day I was on my lunch break and I was sort of still having these ideas about, but I was thinking, how can I get my head around this sort of idea of writing and stuff? And I was in a charity shop and I found this book called A Light in the Attic and it's by um, an author called Shel Silverstein. I don't know it at all. No. 
Well, I'd never seen anything like it before, but I was quite intrigued by the cover. The cover's a, a boy's face, but an attic window in the top of his head. Yeah, and it's called A Light in the Attic, and it's just a selection of, well, very, very strange illustrations, but incredible nonsense poetry. I mean, we're uh, talking Spike Milligan-esque mm. levels of h- hilarity, but some of them are very profound as well, very, very beautiful. So I found out a bit more about him. He wrote the lyrics to the song A Boy Named Sue, by Johnny wow. Cash. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> what an is... extraordinary thing. Yeah. So, hey, hang on so a minute. He... This, is, this is your mentor. Yeah. This is the lyric writer. Exactly. Who eventually moves to writing books for children. Yeah, just a sort of weird, again, that sort of weird serendipity. I think you now those moments, like seeing that guitar in the shop or finding that book. And I, I remember buying it straight away because I've read a few of the pages and I just sort of consumed the rest of it during my lunch break. And that afternoon I wrote my first picture book and sent it off to some publishers and a few months later it, I got a publishing deal so it's it's weird how these things it is weird you make click. that sound really easy I know people who've tried <laughs> well. for many years so it must have been a really good book because yeah. I've got a friend who does write children's books but it took him a long time to establish himself and even still he struggles now having had success Book two took a lot longer, I have to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a bit more of a... I know, and I think I got this sort of feeling, oh, boy, this is this is all right. I can... Um, <laughs> this is it. This is the path now. Um, but, yeah, book two and three and four and five <laughs> have been a lot harder, definitely. Yeah, there's been a lot more time between those. But, yeah, so it was just a really beautiful moment. And I really literally do owe it all to that book because if I think, think if I'd picked up that book at that time and and had that sort of eureka moment, then I don't think I ever would have um, got my head around it and, no. and, and pursued it. There's a children's book by Flanders of Flanders and Swan. It's a book of um, poems about different animals. And the one about the walrus goes, the walrus lives on icy flows and unsuspecting Eskimos. Don't take your wife to Arctic tundra. A walrus may bob up from under her. <laughs> it's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. And those sort of things do stick in your mind. So, But to then have the courage to go ahead and, and uh, pursue it, well done to you. What was the name of the man again? Shell Silverstein. Shell Silverstein. And I've subsequently found out that um, I went. I remember going to the States. My, my sister-in-law lives over there and going into a big Barnes & Noble in Washington, huge, and the children's section was absolutely littered with Shell Silverstein books. Really? Absolutely littered. Literally, he is a household name now. I mean, he is the Roald Dahl in America. I mean, he like every child has got a Shel Silverstein book or has heard of Shel Silverstein. He wrote a book called The Giving Tree, which is a uh, beautiful, yeah, yeah. beautiful book. Why is that not spread over here, I wonder? I don't know. I'm not sure. Unfortunately, he's not. he's no longer with us. I think he died several years ago. But, uh, yeah, I think people are starting to sort of cotton on to his his work a little bit more but it's one of those sort of unfound gems it's kind of nice sometimes isn't it when you know something about something and someone <laughs> yeah. else doesn't <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean like you it's all it's oh I've got a little secret cool mm. thing that I know about and you and, yeah, and you, you think but, you're knowledgeable yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna pull this one out of the bottom drawer in a minute absolutely yeah. but it is nice I mean I whenever I do I mean I do a lot of school events and stuff for the books and I always talk about that book and you know i hope other people have started to sort of cotton on to his work because it, it is brilliant and and a boy named sue is an absolutely wonderful song yeah work of genius yeah well we shall put sean's book into the time capsule 
along with your guitar. Thank you. So that's two items we've got in there, Giles. They're very precious items to me. I hope they're going to stand the test of time in the capsule. Well, I, you take enormous care over these. Don't you worry. <laughs> right, OK, that's two then. So um, Two. So we've got three more. We've got two that you treasure or that you, you, know, that you love. And we have one that you'd be glad to get rid of. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to putting that one in. <laughs> OK, this is the point in the podcast where we leave a little gap in the hope that the podcasters will fill it with an ad. Fingers crossed. Be back in a moment. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back after what we hope was not an empty, seemingly pointless hiatus. Right, let's get back to Giles Paley Phillips and see what else he'd like to stow away in his time capsule. Well, I couldn't not say something lovely about my wife because she's so amazing and inspiring to me. So I have to put in the moment we first clapped eyes on one another or rather I clapped eyes on her. I don't think she was quite as enamoured in me immediately. (laughs) But what's nice about it was the setting. Now, where I live in Seaford, it's a little seaside town on the south coast between Eastbourne and Brighton. Bit of a sleepy town, probably was a bit more touristy and back in the day. But I mean, all the all the seaside B and Bs have all gone now, and it's you know it's. Um, but it's a very lovely town. I've lived here all my life, and um, I never felt the need to leave. But obviously, meeting the love of your life is not necessarily is <laughs> easy in a small town. But um, we used to have this nightclub. Now, I think this is probably quite not unusual for small towns to have a nightclub, which are sort of dens of iniquity. It was called the Trek Club. (laughs) Now, the reason it was called the Trek Club was because the original owners of the Trek Club were big Star Trek fans. I was hoping you were going to say they liked to walk. No. But sadly, (laughs) Star Trek. Star Trek. And so when you went in, there was... An array of memorabilia, say the same memorabilia, uh, yes. hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> Not at all tatty, I'm sure. No, no, absolutely. Very tastefully done. Um, 
So you would look up and there would be a Starship Enterprise. There were several Starship Enterprises, actually. There was other kind of spaceships, which... I mean, there aren't that many Star Trek spaceships, are there? I mean, there might be a Klingon ship and the Enterprise, but there's probably a few Star Wars ones up there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was just this very surreal place. It was free to get in, so that tells you a lot about it. You know, very unusual for, for a nightclub to not charge to get in. <laughs> it's unknown. It, it must have been a real dive. The dance floor was incredibly tacky. And I don't mean tastefully, I meant like as in you stick to it. Yeah. And then it had these three zones. So they had the back bar, which was the what they called the chill-out zone, and then the middle zone, which was called like the hub zone. Now, yeah. what, why it was called the hub zone, I have no idea. It was basically people that weren't dancing were in that bit, and yeah. it was nearer the toilets. <laughs> so it had these three zones, and it was, I mean, it was quite small. I mean, it was almost like... A local football club. You know those big sheds you get in football, local football mm. teams? It was almost a bit like that. Oh, you're really selling this place. I know, I know, I know. It's not the place you'd imagine you'd find the love of your life in. No, it's sort of place you'd find herpes, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, I, I remember this one evening. I didn't go there. I didn't frequent it a lot, to be fair. It wasn't somewhere I, I enjoyed going. But one night I did appear across the dance hall through the hub, into the chill-out zone, and I spotted this, this, this woman who looked incredible, and I thought, I, I think I recognise that person. And I, I wandered over, and it turned out I, I did recognise them. It was Michelle, who I'd known when we were sort of 7 and 12, but she was now 19 and looked incredible. And so um, I just had this real desire to get to know her <laughs> did she recognize you she did recognize me but she was a bit coy i think a bit coy because i think i was slightly older five years older so i think there was that you know why is he talking to me yeah but then i thought she was playing it cool you know how it goes <laughs> um these unanswered questions that sort of peer over these these moments when we meet someone that we we think we're attracted to and actually can be easily misinterpreted yes and you wonder those sliding door moments that actually you may have thought, oh, no, she doesn't fancy me at all. Well, that was what I thought, you see. Right. Yeah, so I thought, oh, she's not interested at all. I said, well, can I buy you a drink? Which I said, I'm sorry, that's such a cliched thing to ask you in where we are. Mm. <laughs> and uh, she said, no, I'd love a drink. So I, I went and bought her a drink and she downed it in one and handed me the glass back. Um, and said, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and you thought, that's the girl for me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. She doesn't mess about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but tying it back to the earlier stuff we were talking about, I was still playing in the band at that point, And I thought, I need an in. I need an in here because mm. this is awkward. And I, I remember rooting around. Sometimes it's good, I think, in those moments to have a prop of some sort. And I thought, oh, what, what can I, what can I use to? I hope it's not a phaser. <laughs> no, it's much, much nicer than that. No, but I pulled in my pocket and I had a flyer for a gig we were doing at uh... the weekend. And I thought, this is an in. I can invite her to the gig. I'd recalled that she might have been at some of our other gigs because she was friends with some other people that I knew that were into the band. So I thought, okay, this is an in. And um, that was my in. And I, and I gave her the flyer and. And that was the moment. And then you exchange numbers and I like to say the rest is history. That was the moment, that, that fly. And, it, you know, 
if I hadn't been in a band, I don't think I would have had an in. Yeah, thank goodness. So there you are. So in fact, the money was well invested. When you look yeah. back on on should I have bought that guitar or not, or should I have invested in a flat? Yeah, know, start start a mortgage or buy shares. Exactly. You, know, you couldn't have said, you know, uh, this weekend you don't fancy coming looking through my share portfolio, do you? <laughs> exactly. And it's funny, isn't it, when you like, when thinking about these things and f- seeing actually there is a connection between a lot of these things. Mm. And it's that thing, you know, like you said, the sliding doors, what would you have done? You know, where would you be if you'd taken a different thing? If If, if certain circumstances hadn't happened to you, where would you be? Mm. Now, and actually sort of embracing those things and saying, well, look, actually, you know, some days are bad, but actually if that, that thing hadn't happened, I wouldn't have had that thing. So absolutely, yeah. I think as an outlook for life, it's, it's you know, and, and, and going back through these memories, which has been lovely, to think that those little moments are life-changing. Yes, without her no child to write a book for. Exactly. So there's all these little things, isn't there? Yeah. Completely interconnected, the whole thing. Yeah. You can see how important everything is in what you've chosen. So we will put uh, that first meeting in that terrible nightclub yeah. into the time capsule. I'm going to put the moment you look across the room and see her. That's been nice, yeah. I think the nightclub's no longer there, unfortunately. Oh, uh, um, what a shame I was going to go there tonight. <laughs> it was only open on a Friday and Saturday night. Ah, uh, well, that's no good to me. <laughs> no, well, exactly. And one thing that used to top it off was that um, outside there was a burger bar a burger van, I should say, and it was an old ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate. And they'd not taken any of the sort of go faster stripes off or anything like that. <laughs> but also the other thing, the other thing that I loved was that um, there was an alleyway that ran down the side and it was called Shaggers Alley because you could guarantee if you wandered down there after the nightclub that you would, you, you know, it would be like stepping foot into a porn set. And how often did you wander down there, Giles? Oh, I, I, I would know. I, Apparently I a friend told you about it. There, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Well, I'm sorry the club's not open because I've got my chat-up line ready. Mm. Why don't we get out of here and go somewhere nicer? In fact, <laughs> let's dematerialise. <laughs> that's going to work, isn't it? Yeah. I, do you know, we'll go down like a storm in the chat <laughs> Right, lovely. Okay, so we've got two items left, Giles. Well, my fourth time capsule item that I want to put is is something, a, a moment that happened, which I think has actually had a long lasting effect on me and actually is who I am and why I am the way I am. It comes from this moment. So I'm putting a lot of heat on this moment right now. But it was um, when I was about, I must have been about eight years old. I wasn't off the rails as such. Can't really be off the rails at seven or eight, but I was certainly in... I was having a different period of my life. My my mum passed away when I was six from leukemia. And I think the fallout from that, my dad was very absent a lot of the time. He had a lot of problems with alcohol. And so there wasn't anyone around really to sort of pick up the pieces for us. You know, we, we spent a lot of time with our grandparents and they were amazing, particularly my maternal grandmother. And the moment I wanted to, to put in the capsule was about her actually, because during a bit of a, a rougher spot, I think I was experimenting with being rebellious and mm. me and a mate started pinching stickers from the local news agents. <laughs> and I have to say, I've never stolen anything since. No. But um, we, yeah, we pinched a load of stickers. With these football stickers? Um, 
So like the Panini stickers, yeah. So they weren't uh, football yeah. ones, but they mm. were, um, I think there was a Transformers sticker album out at the time. We were really yeah. into Transformers. And yeah, and the local news agents had them. And they were, I mean, I mean, God, they were about 12 or 14p, these packs of stickers. And, you know, it would cost quite a lot to get a whole book. And I think both of us needed a few more to complete the set. So we thought, they won't notice, we'll pinch a few. So we, we pinched a few and then... We stuck them in our books and then we got a taste for it. So we went and pinched some more. We did this all on one afternoon. So, I mean, obviously the, oh, the yeah. shop were very aware that their sticker, their box of stickers was going down rapidly. We weren't stealth-like in any way. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly deserve to get caught. Oceans 2, this is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we got caught and um, I remember obviously being very immediately remorseful about it very remorseful and very sorry about it and i think it, I, I think i was probably I, I obviously i knew it was wrong to do it mm. but everyone in the family went absolutely ballistic about it i just got in such trouble for it a real bollocking proper mm. bollocking from practically everyone even my older brother which was absolutely fair enough it was a really bad thing to do but the weekend we used to stay with my maternal grandmother um, and her husband, Bill, my grandfather. And I just remember this moment where she took me aside in the kitchen and she put her arm around me and she just said, why did you do it? And I said, well, I don't really know, actually. I don't really know. I think I just thought it'd be a bit of fun or, you know, I, I didn't sort of consider the consequences. And she just said, it's okay you know, it's okay. Just if you ever feel feeling in a bad way, come and come and see me, come and talk to me and we'll talk about it, you know, Mm. but don't feel like you, you can't. And it was such a moment of compassion that even then I remember thinking, wow, okay, I'm never gonna, I don't think I'm ever going to do that again. And just that moment of, yeah, that moment of tenderness and compassion. And whereas everyone else had sort of blown up, had so much more of a profound effect on me than than being bollocked for it or, mm-hmm. or or being chastised and smacked. I think I was probably smacked for it. As, you know, and going forward, it's just always had such a made a big impression on me. And and I've always tried where possible to be to be the same in return, be compassionate and kind to people because sometimes we all do bad things now and again, and mm. doesn't mean we're bad people. No, generally, that's exactly I think what she was saying to you. Yeah. Is that you've done a bad thing, but it doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah. So next time, think about it. Come to me, talk to me. Yeah. I know you're not bad. And and actually, it is possible at, at that point, I think, for people to be labelled and then take on that role almost. And so you could have gone a different way. You could have yeah. become the rebel, the person who deliberately broke the rules all the time. Yes. It's, yeah, I absolutely. mean, the whole, the whole world of... Um, of punishment and retribution and uh, how we deal with people who do bad things is a very difficult area, isn't it? And I tend to agree with you that I think sometimes a little bit more compassion and understanding would be useful. I think it would. I think it really would. Yeah, and I think, you know, that moment's always stayed with me and it's something that's very vivid in my mind. And I think you're right. I think we do need to reflect more the conversations are so binary these days, particularly on social media. There's a lot of attacking, There's not, but nothing's black and white. 
you know, there's so much grey and we need to listen more and, you know, and actually find out what the roots of these issues are. You know, I was having a bad time in my life, which made me go and do those things. And actually, that's the problem. It wasn't that, you know, I was trying to necessarily gain something from it. Obviously, I was gaining something, but that wasn't the reason I did it. No. Really, was because I because I had a sadness. I but wanted this to... would be just after your mother had died? It was a couple of years afterwards, but yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously that, you know, I mean, I can't imagine it. I mean, we've got two young children, they're 13 and 11, but I do remember at the time my son turned six, which is the age I was, thinking how the hell or how the fuck would he deal with that if one yeah. of us, if one of my wife or I died? I mean, I just mm. can't imagine it. So, yeah, and I think, again, that that way of dealing with it that my grandmother had was almost slightly magical, I think. Oh, it's had a, such a beautiful effect on me going forward, and and I hope that I can have, you know, with my own children, have that level of compassion if they ever get themselves into any any bother. Dad, wouldn't it be fantastic if your grandmother could know that? Yeah. Let's hope some people are right and that she is going, oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, that would be <laughs> Somewhere. nice. Yeah. What was her name? Do you mind if I ask her name? Her name was Queenie, which is a fantastic grandmother name. What a great name. Yeah, Queenie Carpenter. Um, and she was proper granny, like white permed hair. Yeah. Had been a seamstress when she was younger, but was a stay-at-home parent i mean she was she only had one child who was my mum who unfortunately passed away so you know was had a lot of tragedy herself in her life and um she was definitely a surrogate mother to me and my brother and um Mm. just an incredible person really she was you know brilliant cook and you know the proper granny you know making cakes all day and all that kind of stuff so yeah yes i had one myself yeah uh, auntie mary who was actually just our neighbor but an old lady who um I was thinking about it the other day, strangely enough. I was thinking about why she would be important in my life. And I realise now, looking back on it and analysing it, my mother had two ectopic pregnancies before and after my younger brother. And that must have been terribly traumatic and really yeah. really difficult time. And occasionally, you know, sort of on holiday, you'd catch a glimpse of this enormous scar, or two enormous scars that she had either side of her stomach. So as a child, you don't realise this is going on. But of course, Auntie Mary was a person who was called on time and time again to, you know, collect us from school, cook us dinner. And I was thinking about her mashed potato, which is the best mashed potato <laughs> in the world, almost certainly because of the amount of butter she put in it. But she would <laughs> yeah. whisk it for hours with a fork. It was, um, yeah, so that's my Auntie Mary. She's a bit like that. There's this little sweet old lady. And her husband's name was Bill as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. My grandparents, my Bill and Queenie, they, whenever we stayed over there, they would always put a gift under our pillow. So <laughs> we'd wake up in the morning and there would be a little gift under there. So it was normally like a Mr. Man book or a little toy. And it, it's just little things like that. Just, Fabulous. Oh, just had such a long lasting effect on me that, that kindness, they were incredibly kind people. And I hope I'm a grandfather like that. That's all. Yeah. How wonderful. Well, your dear gran, Queenie, what a wise woman! Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I get—I mean, I get—I'm feeling quite emotional now about talking about it. Yeah, she, yeah, was an incredibly special person and an individual, and and to do something like that, yeah, fabulous. Well, she's in there, and so uh, anytime you like, you can open it up and thank you. Go and say hello. Thanks, Michael. That's a that's a good one to, for me to put in. Lovely.
okay, well, we've got one left, and this is one you want to get rid of. Well, on the flip side of a, a very caring and lovely grandparent to an, a, an equally caring and loving grandparent, but one who was slightly more feisty, shall we say, mm-hmm. um, her name was um, Sarah Race, or Nanny Race, we call her. I don't know why we called her, we didn't call her Nanny Sarah, we called her Nanny Race for some reason. We call her by a surname. I have no idea why. And the reason I'm putting is not her, because she was fantastic, mm. but her cooking. Now, <laughs> compared to Queenie, who was a majestic wizard around the, <laughs> the kitchen, Sarah Race was quite possibly the worst cook that I've ever come into contact with. I mean, just <laughs> honestly, I mean, nothing she did was 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 passable to eat. I mean, nothing was edible. I mean, it was just horrendous. I want to put one of her, her signature dishes in to the, the capsule. But another staple dish was um, peace pudding with boiled ham oh. and peas. Now, the peas, you could describe them as peas, but they were so grey. I mean, they were like, <laughs> it was like gravel, basically, on the plate. So tinned. Yeah, tin peas, yeah. Mm. Peace pudding, which is one of the most horrendous inventions. I mean, I don't know. She was from the north, so she was from Durham. Right. Um, and I think, obviously, this isn't doing a disservice to Durham. Some of the, I think some of the, the cuisines um, in that area were, were not quite as refined as we're used to in the <laughs> south, perhaps. And that's, and it's honestly not doing a disservice to, to the people of Northumberland. But um, what she grew up eating was not something we particularly wanted to eat no it's horrible isn't it peace pudding yeah i mean i i I don't do people still eat it i mean is it still a thing well uh, only very bad prisoners (laughs) (laughs) these things weren't made well either that's the thing i mean they were horrible combinations of things but also badly cooked so Mm. they don't be overcooked or undercooked or any which way of being cooked apart from the correct way Um, (laughs) i mean i i remember i used to work I did a bit when I was doing the band stuff. I did, did like an early morning cleaning job, and I'd come back and she'd say, "Oh, I've made you some sausage sandwiches." Perfect. Which sounds amazing, doesn't it? But mm. she couldn't manage to cook the sausages without splitting them, so they were basically a sausage meat splatter um, <laughs> in a bit of bread. But the thing—I mean, the, the the main thing, her her staple thing that I'd like to put in the capsule was something she called mint salad. Okay, so, I mean, I've only been reminded of this recently. My brother reminded me of it. We, we were talking about her her um, dalliances in the kitchen. <laughs> and um, he said, do you remember the mint salad? <laughs> I said, no. I, I, and, and he described it to me and literally the feelings of eating it came back. <laughs> You'd blocked it out. I'd blocked, totally blocked it. <laughs> I totally blocked this thing from my mind. It was her own combination. And it was supposed to be something that you'd have with a roast dinner, okay? So it was a kind of um, almost a condiment, I suppose. Mm. The main ingredients were lettuce, fresh mint from the garden, milk. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, God. That really took me by surprise. I'm sorry. It's a plot twist, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Vinegar. Yeah. <laughs> and spring onions. But it all sounds quite good, apart from milk. <laughs> Why would you put milk in it? Well, the milk thing, she'd like to put milk with quite a lot of stuff, actually. <laughs> uh, she'd make your... They were kind of like a Yorkshire pudding, but that would be pudding. 
as well as main. So she would make extra. Yeah. So we'd have them with the roast dinner and then you'd have them as pudding as well with milk. (laughs) (laughs) Obsessed, obviously, honestly, obsessed with it. And she could try and get it into as many recipes as possible. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, so the mint salad would be this. So she'd chop it very finely chopped, all this stuff up, mix it up. So you, you, so the, the milk would be like the last thing as well. So you'd think, oh, that that looks yeah. okay. It's a kind of mint sauce almost. Mm-hmm. And then she'd, she'd throw in the milk, full fat milk as well. No half and half semi-skim stuff. And then she would, you know, without your permission, just put it all over your um, over your roast dinner. Like a flourish at the end. Like a, yes. Like she was a... <laughs> <laughs> like she was a sort of head chef of a Michelin starred restaurant. She yeah. Just put a put a lovely little f- flourish of mint salad over your nice um, overcooked lamb mm. or beef or chicken, whatever it might be. And it didn't matter what roast dinner either. It was anything. Anything going would have the mint salad with it. <laughs> the coup de grace. Here we go. <laughs> this is going to finish it off. But I think we should get in touch with Heston Blumenthal. Oh, definitely. And say, have you thought of this? And even Heston, I think, might go, <laughs> no, that's pushing it too far. Well, I guess now it would be like a mint salad foam or something. Yeah. Oh, God, that stuff that looks like somebody spat on your food. Or it'd be a deconstructed mint salad, perhaps. <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully, I'm taking the milk <laughs> yeah. out of it. Oh, God. I loved her to bits. She was a wonderful woman. She was uh, very feisty. One of our routines was her going into the betting shop, me having to wait outside. <laughs> Where, you know, do you remember when they had the the red and blue and yellow kind of tassels in the doorway? So every mm. now and again the wind would blow and I'd see her beavering away doing a – she was really into greyhounds and doing the dogs. She was a real character, a real, yeah. you know, an, in, an incredibly funny person. And actually the, the I remember with great fondness – Uh, And the language that she used was incredible. I mean, effing and jeffing and C's and the C word all the time. I mean, you know, yeah, she loved using that word. And um, (laughs) it was great to hear it from her, to be honest. (laughs) So so she was, yeah, she was a real character and um, I loved it to bits. But yeah, the mint salad, not so much. And um, I'd be very happy to see it condemned. Well, it is. Thank it's you. in the time capsule, locked away. You'll never have to eat that again, <laughs> and hopefully, no one else will either. No, I don't. I don't advise anyone. I mean, obviously, I've given you the ingredients, but please, you know, don't don't do it to yourselves. <laughs> what a lovely picture, Giles, of somebody tonight <laughs> saying to their children, "Hello, everyone. I was listening to a podcast today. So anyway, <laughs> here's your shepherd's pie, but." Wait for it. <laughs> Mint with milk. milk. Marvellous. <laughs> oh, dear. We've just mentally scarred a whole nation of children. <laughs> we have. <laughs> Charles, it's been really lovely talking to you. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for letting me um, remember all these things. It's just been so nice to reminisce. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, talking to Giles Paley-Phillips. Next week is our one-year anniversary, so obviously we have a very special guest, and you can find out who it is if you subscribe on Acast or your own favourite podcast provider. And there are loads more episodes which you can stream or download and listen to. If you like them, then why not rate the show and maybe leave a short review? 
It's always much appreciated, I can assure you. You can follow us on social media. You just search for me or at my TC pod. And if you like it, and why wouldn't you, you can hear the My Time Capsule theme tune in full on Spotify. It was composed by Pass the Peas Music. This was a cast-off production. The producer was John Fenton Stevens. So, hope to see you next time for our anniversary edition. And, of course, in the podcast world, it's traditional to bring a present. <laughs> a tradition that goes all the way back to 2015. I mean, you, you don't have to, but if you really must, the gift is traditionally Bitcoin. Just pay it into the offshore account. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.